Never in the history of the world have the merchants of obscenity had available to them the modern facilities for disseminating this filth. Disseminating this filth. The onslaught of the communist masters of deceit. Bingo. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Marlo's here. Steve's here. We're all here. Marlo's only half here. Marlo's yeah, yeah. I'm I'm in the middle of. You should deal with that. I saw it (laughs) right before I I started this recording. I have several issues of posting right now. Um, (laughs) Is one of them? We don't use names because that gives them the satisfaction. So. Look, welcome to Pinko Commie Sluts, guys. Guess what? I read a lot of Mark Fisher this week. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about uh, Mark Fisher meme group. He's axed. He's axed. Um, unpopular opinion. Uh, what if white supremacy is real? <laughs> what if it is real? Could you imagine? I very much like the weird tentacle striations of different types of white people trying to come to that conclusion somehow. Like this was a special one because it's a Mark Fisher meme group. (laughs) So not exactly the place where it's like, Hey, why don't you come and tell us how you don't think white supremacy is real? (laughs) Yeah. Not really the town for that. I swear to God, I could bring that. English fuck's neck for vampire castle empowering all these motherfuckers. <laughs> it's, it is on Mark Fisher for making vampire castle particularly easy to read. <laughs> so all, all of the regs. It's really his fault for making all of his reading pretty easy to read. That one in particular, though. Yeah. It's is, is, is like smooth, digestible. You can see people not digesting all of it, you know? <laughs> they just take the parts they liked, get the fuck out of there. Mark Fisher would hate that. Yeah. Well, I mean, this dude... Oh, my God. I, I love that it's the same fucking guy, because his last, like, 800 <laughs> posts were just this annoying kind of, like, black pilly pseudo-left bullshit. Uh, all right, he's gone now. He's gone forever. <laughs> It's gone forever. This, this is episode 15, brought to you by <laughs> ontological memes. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Mark matter. Fisher memes for ontological teams. <laughs> that's right. That's the right. number one uh, English language Mark Fisher Facebook group. Started by me. And me. That's right. And Marlo. No girls allowed. <laughs> that's right. But guess what? I busted in there. <laughs> And now I'm like, hey, guys, let's talk about the big other. Yeah. I'm just going to. The big other busted in. (laughs) I don't know. I was going to make a Uh, joke about busting. What did you think, Bunny? 
I am uh, deeply obsessed. I my poor sister uh, just wanted to chat with me, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm deeply explaining lots of Mark Fisher concepts, uh, probably not excellently. And uh, she humored me. She did listen. It is uh, getting to the point where I'm wanting to throw it into everything. You, you got to get K-Punk next. I know. Or, oh. Well, no, I mean, Weird and Eerie, if you don't want to. Mm -hmm. Weird and Eerie is good because it's like somewhat quasi-apolitical. Uh, like if you're into HP Lovecraft and you want yeah, to literature. I clearly am. Yeah, it, I clearly am. He's the only racist I like because he's dead. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of literature. And, so it's okay um, to like movie his work. Yeah. Um, HP. I haven't watched that new Lovecraft Country show. I've just reminded myself that I would like to do that. Thank you. The, the, the last H.P. Uh, Lovecraft I was influenced by or missed was the Nicolas Cage H.P. Lovecraft movie, uh, Colors in Space or Color. Yes. Yeah, no, it was it was great only because I thought of Mark the whole time. And I'm like, there it is. There's weird. That's weird. But no, go on, bunny. Yeah, don't, don't distract me with H.P. Lovecraft, because I could talk a lot about Cthulhu right now. Or Cthulhu, uh, as some pedants uh, pronounce it. Yes, Cthulhu. It sounds, it's like somebody saying my last name, Temelis. Like, no, who would? I'm sure there is some Themelis out there who's anglicized to Temelis. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's not that many feminists, but it's not, you know, there's some, they're out there. They're professors, they're things. Um, I did bring up the big other because spe specifically I find that concept. So oh, that's my favorite concept. Illustrative. And I'm able to parlay that to people rather easily, which has just been, guess what guys? I'm back at work at the office. <laughs> <laughs> That's who I've been telling it to. Which is so funny, what is the which is good. so what is the big other both of you? Well, I'm gonna be sloppy about it, but essentially, it's the idea that something that you could privately know, other people don't know. So it allows a lot of things to happen. You could have it be in a apolitical example. It could be like a restaurant, and it's very. Uh, esteemed, but you're like, the food's kind of shitty. And you all think you're the only one who kind of thinks that because oh, everyone says it's great. And then all it takes is one person to say, actually, officially, this shit sucks. <laughs> and then boom, 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 the mirage is shattered and you no longer can use this illusion to market that restaurant in, in this very flat example. Okay. Big other. Uh, so the big other, you got it mostly, but the main idea of the big other is it's where saying something out loud that everyone knows can change things even without delivering new information. So in your restaurant example, it would be, you know, not only do you know the food is bad and everyone else there knows the food is bad, but the owner of the restaurant also knows the food is bad. The chefs know the food mm -hmm. is bad. Everyone knows the food is bad. And it might take more than just you saying it. It might take the owner of the restaurant, per Fisher's example, saying it. Because 
The big other Mm -hmm. is basically this hypothetical entity who does not realize the food is bad. And so long as the big other is ignorant to the food being bad, everyone's okay. In fact, kind of committed to going along Mm -hmm. with the notion that the food is in fact good. Uh, When someone of authority, however, states that the food is bad, we can no longer operate under the illusion that the big other believes the food is good. And at that point, things fall apart. Yes, which brings me to how I have been using this concept personally this week, um, which I don't know if Mark Fisher would co-sign, I got to be honest. Uh, But when I've been talking to other whites who feel very intimidated by the conversation that's happening right now, I think the big other factors in here with how a lot of white people deal with the racism that they have ex- like witnessed and experienced in their day-to-day lives. They intuitively do this thing where they keep it secret or they pretend like nobody knows that's really racist. And as soon as somebody comes in and declares, hey, that's racist, It's a very disruptive thing, even though everybody fucking knows. Yeah, it is. That's that's (laughs) saying the word articulate. It's like that's how a lot of white, especially white liberals operate. They all like stream along like they've never heard a racist thing in their life. And they're shocked and appalled to become so aware. But they are purposely omitting things that they've experienced. And I... I'm going to go ahead and say this with some authority as a white person. And this is what frustrates me when I talk to other white people about it. Certain people, there's this pressure to keep that charade up. You know, I know nobody wants to out their Mima as a fucking horrible person. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, if we're going to have this supposed serious conversation and people want to get real about it, It frustrates me that there is this similar dynamic, at least dimensionally to the big other to me, where it's like they can keep up the charade of that, that they weren't aware that things were racist. What's the difference between the big other and dog whistle? Because dog whistle, I think, is an intentional code, like... Yeah, I mean, I think a big other can be applicable in a dog whistling situation, but I'm unfortunately reminded of the current drama at Bon Appetit. Uh, <laughs> and who isn't these days? <laughs> we we I, we thought that place yeah. was perfect. <sighs> yeah, well, yeah, apparently, like, took one person to be like... Oh, man, it's weird how, like, it's only white people who get paid for the online content, which has launched through popularity, for that to all come crumbling down. Yeah, it's all it's taken lately is one person with some authority to speak the thing that was Mm -hmm. obvious. See, see, I think of the big other in a different way or in a similar way. The uh, And I'm going to use the example of my work. So everybody who works at the deliveries they all use the same app and on the same app uh you have to get a signature from the person who you deliver to but nobody gets the signature because nobody trusts the people that they're delivering with to touch their phone so there's this implied kind of bureaucracy within the 
signature of the big other. The person makes their own signature. The person who's doing the deliveries makes the signature of the person they deliver to for them. Everybody who works the deliveries makes the signatures themselves. The people that are, I assume, looking at paperwork afterwards knows that nobody's making signatures. It's all the same signature. And this kind of like down of bureaucracy. Well, yeah, you can. The big other is at the service of a lot of bureaucracy and it can be like used to facilitate a lot of complex things. And that's what I found so interesting, really focusing on this idea was how you can't have these complex, ridiculous structures that could be sort of imploded by one <laughs> solid declaration of what everybody right. already knows. Right. And, and then, you know, if somebody says, oh, look, nobody's making the signatures, and the whole system would crush, like crumble. Yeah. And that to me is the, the bureaucracy of like doing this kind of tedious bureaucratic labor that is unnecessary, but only necessary to like the corporation that's overseeing it. Well, yeah, it becomes about the record keeping mm -hmm. and not the actual outcomes. Which kind of transitions, I think, nicely into what does that say about capitalist realism? Because we haven't really... We're using this, but how does that work within the matrix of realism? Well, I guess, yeah, I just talked about how things initially can be set up to record outcomes to quality control, but then quickly things become about massaging the record keeping. You know, like you're all doing the signature for, like, why are you even doing the signature? Oh, because it has to be done. But why does it have to be done? Right. It's... it's the simulation of production. Yes. This whole corona time has been a really nice time to reflect on how much of my working life has just been that. So many of my day jobs just simulcrum of productivity. That's what I needed to uphold rather than the actual service or what have you. And I think this relates very much to one of Marx's central tenets of capitalist realism, which is that these things that are sold to you as freedoms, the fact that you can do your work from your home or the fact that you can do it from an app, they will free up your time or free up your, your life, free from being in a yeah. Or even like the idea that going to the supermarket and having... 80 million choices of toilet paper brands is freedom and not actually an anxiety producing like abundance of needless choice. Yeah, which I would also uh, say relates into the COVID panic where you had multiple comparisons to the Soviet Union on a basis of there not being enough toilet paper. <laughs> That's all people care about is there also, also <laughs> when it comes down also to it. Is there enough toilet paper? There's lots of comparisons to the uh, Soviet Union, and I think the, uh, the, the market Stalinism is an interesting concept. That was always one of my favorite set of but, words. I do like that as well. I just felt like so much of uh, what I was reading in uh, Capital Surrealism was things I had thought <laughs> but had never had anyone add a sheer uh, layer of validity and like analysis. 
It was a satisfying read that It really is. And And it really packs all these things into like a fun experience reading. I think for me personally, focusing on uh, how we are encouraged to erase class from everything when we're analyzing it and how so many things are so easily explainable (laughs) when you look at the dimension of class. And personally for me, um, this is, I think I'm going back to Mm -hmm. Vanguard, but uh, personally for me, there was um, an aspect of my experience being like a working class kid who got a scholarship to a, a private school where Fisher articulated this really nicely where he talked about working class people not being fluent in the passive aggressive language of the upper class. That was something that I experienced like really starkly because in public school, it was like, of course, there was a hierarchy of who was cool and not cool and all that. But it was very everything was sort of direct you know, like, I fuck with you, like, we're fighting, like, blah, blah, blah. When I got into prep school, I was constantly falling into these, like, things where I didn't realize I was, like, crossing a social line because I wasn't versed in how these people spoke to each other and how they used these subtleties of, like, putting each other down and whatever to like control each other. And I would just be like, what the fuck? (laughs) Why'd you do that? And everyone would act like what an asshole. (laughs) And I didn't understand it at the time. I, of course I knew I'm poor and they're not, (laughs) but I didn't have a dimension of thinking about it as how class actually Mm. functions. And I've had the, kind of remedial framework around that myself, like as I've grown, because obviously I know class was a factor, but it's just nice to read a super smart man who's got all the words. (laughs) I'm like, yes, that is it. I definitely feel like so many of the things that were confusing I'm like, oh, it's just, it's just a class thing. Uh, <laughs> like, there's so many things I experience personally that if I look at the class aspect, everything just does make sense. And I just didn't have the tools as a working class person, a lower class person, whatever, to truly exploit having access uh, to that world. Because I didn't understand it. Like, I always joke that I thought private school was going to be like that school on Gilmore Girls, where it was a bunch of, yeah, it's like rich, preppy kids, but they're all like, we love learning and we're super into like, you know, I wasn't imagining this whole social aspect that was going to be not only intimidating to me, but I hated it. And I didn't know enough to Uh. shut the fuck up. So I was constantly like, getting in trouble for calling things out that I thought this is obvious, da, 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 but I didn't know the little graces. And one of my favorite stories that I'm actually very proud of is we had a speaker come and she was talking about 
I don't even know what the fuck she was supposed to be talking to us about, but it devolved into a thing where she was implying that you should not wear provocative uh. clothes to avoid being sexually assaulted, which this is an all-girls school, right? And in the grand scheme of Baltimore private schools, this one in particular is supposed to be the feminazi liberal school, okay? And this is an official speaker who's come to talk to us girls. So I am flummoxed that this woman has said this and I raise my hand it's time for questions <laughs> I raise my hand and I go into this thing about these stats that I just read in like Ms. Magazine uh, where I'm like actually most women who are raped by random people it happens very early in the morning they're on their way to work and um, it's not because they're like skimpily trotting in from the club and I was like, I'm a 16-year-old girl. I could go out in sweatpants and somebody's going to sexualize me. Why is it my responsibility to change how I'm doing my day-to-day -day life because of that? Screw that is part of what I said. And that was what I got a month's worth of detentions wow. for because I used such inappropriate language. And I even had one teacher, like, privately tell me, like, yeah, you were saying correct things you shouldn't have said that but to me because i'm fucking working class i didn't say fuck so i was cool <laughs> <laughs> like like but that like i never thought about that aspect of the story i just thought oh what a goofy person for me to think not saying the f word was the curse word but i mean like that is what it is where i was uh. coming from it wasn't inappropriate for a 16 year old girl to say screw <laughs> <laughs> like in my mind so that was like saying dang <laughs> almost so I did have one teacher who I've recently become Facebook friends with shout out Miss Busby <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I had one teacher who did sort of say like yes you were like correct kind of sh she didn't say it explicitly but she gave me the vibe like you can't say this shit around these people uh, <laughs> but in retrospect, I've had several people remember that incident specifically as the definitive thing they remember about me in high school. And it could be worse. I always think it's a huge failure of the school I attended with all of their resources and academic access and whatever that they don't have any provisions in place about acclimating somebody who is not from this world into this world. If they want to use us as they're like, oh, we give scholarships out and we blah, blah, blah. I feel like you know enough to know that somebody like me could have used help. <laughs> like, they just let it go. Joke's on them because one day I'm going to hit it big and I'm going to make them build a puppetry wing or something really they don't want. But... That's how private schools work. If you have enough money, they will take it and they'll do what you say you have to do with it. <laughs> like they sent the whole uh, 10th grade class to see Yo-Yo Ma and it had nothing to do with anything we were at all studying. It just randomly made us go because some patron, some donor to the school had donated this. That's a cool thing about being a scholarship kid at prep school is that you do gained some knowledge of how that world works. I would have liked to have known in the beginning. So <laughs> I could have taken advantage in a diabolical way, but it didn't work out. You use the alternative argument a lot. I think you've been saying that, but the, is there no alternative? 
Yes. Can you discuss that? How have you been using it? Like, who have you been arguing with and inserting <laughs> that into it? Well, one, I've been arguing with a dumb fuck hippie. Uh, <laughs> I hope she listens to this and is like monstrously hurt by that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is there no alternative? We all know what this is like. This is something I did learn in private school, is that capitalism is the only game in town. It's the only thing that works. Yeah, we all know it's fucked up and ruthless and harmful, but nothing else works. There is no alternative. We can only work in this tiny little slice of imaginary mm. space. At least this is somewhat how the, I've interpreted it. And how I... Yes, the myth. And I know in... In America's private school institutions, this is the thing that is super emphasized. I had this access to this great education. And a lot, yeah, I wouldn't have fucking learned. I wouldn't have been somebody who's translated ancient Greek if I didn't go to that fucking school. But the way they teach history and... A lot of other things has this real slant to it where all you need to do is play by these rules and you can succeed in this mm -hmm. society. And if you're not succeeding, it's because mm -hmm. you fucked up and you suck. And the people I went to school with freely use this kind of mm -hmm. argument. Mm, it is just natural to them. Before, I, when I was just a little baby feminist <laughs> and I didn't really know what the fuck I was talking about, but I knew what the fuck I wasn't talking about, <laughs> I guess I'll put it that way. When I say things which uh, I, you know, I kind of think now are pretty basic and remedial, uh, the reactions I'd get from this mm -hmm. environment of people would be just shock, disdain and this insistence that and, I violence. <laughs> my my favorite one is is, uh, is this utopian. This is a utopian idea that has never been tried elsewhere. Yeah, I. What do you mean by the utopian thing? The utopian thing. Um, well, whenever I propose or whenever I discuss, like you know, maybe we should have social democracy systems put in place, like. I don't know, universal programs. Whenever universal programs are brought up, there's always this kind of peanut gallery going. You mean the, the people who go, yeah, oh, how can you that pay for that? Nice? Or um, that, that's been tried in other countries and it's fine. Or and it the, it's politically impractical. It's not, quote unquote, realistic. It'll Which never get passed. What I It'll touched on last past. week with the real versus the realistic. Yeah. And I think that the utopian is a strategy. The the kind of um dismissing social democratic reforms, even minor ones, as a utopian yes. world that is beyond the pale of the imagination. Well, the that image of the bleeding heart fucking liberal whatever which i always think what is that based on like somebody who gives a shit about other people but mm -hmm. it's so unrealistic because we're inherently horrible Greedy. um 
greedy, fucking, we're just going to, eh, eh. and what these people honestly often are really saying is they're fine about them well, being there. And I think that, well, the other aspect of it is when we talk about realistic, what we have now is not realistic. It's a horrifically brittle system that is killing people. Well, and the other part about that is I think it's also utopian. Like, this is the utopian idea of free market capitalism that is proposed in the end result of it, which is, as you say, brutal. Yeah, but possibly world-ending, yeah. and yeah. But I want to go back to the utopian thing, because I've been reading Frederick Jameson a lot, who, James? you know, who is... Uh, <laughs> he makes the whiskey. He's Jameson the one that- <laughs> makes the whiskey. Jameson writes about postmodernism, the logic of late-stage capitalism. For which you need to drink whiskey to read. I'm, I'm staring at his uh, American Utopia book, which I watched a lecture on. And his proposal, and this is the interesting thing about it, is that the uh, the idea of free market capitalism and neoliberalism is that anything is possible. And that contradicts with what we just said, with, like, everything is possible, but once you, like, propose universal health care, it's suddenly outside of the imagination. So, you know, you have an imagination, and then you you have this, like, absence of imagination. But his proposal was to create a universal draft, which would make everybody part of this universal army that would neuter the army to being incapable of war or invasion, which I found interesting. I also find that interesting. I say if we're going to Second Amendment it up, everyone gets a gun and we start training from small children and then it's just mini militias and nobody's gunless if we're super serious about but it, it's, the Second Amendment. I'm not opposed to this. It's it's more of a joke. It's more of a yeah, yeah, it's, so it's more of a joke, but it's kind of like the Starship Trooper satire. Yeah, it, it's it operates on a certain logic, yeah. you know, namely that the Russian Revolution was made possible by the fact that most of the army did not want to be there and would be willing to just well, fight the Bolsheviks. The, the the example they gave actually in the lecture was that this happened in China. Yeah, he was part of the army. And Egypt as well. And resources were allocated by the army and everybody was in the army, so... Oh, but, like, here's my problem with it. I don't want to be in the army. And and the funny part about (laughs) his jokes was that the pacifists would all get the nuclear code. (laughs) But that is a good plan. Um, so I only bring this up because I think that uh, the is there no alternative um, is often reinforced by well, democracy is outside of our imagination and relegated to the utopia. Well, and I mean, uh, there is a huge part of American culture that is literally just anti-communist propaganda. The, the NFL. <laughs> We talked about it in our first episode. Like, we are benefiting from a jids, the zillennials, them not having to consume as much of this anti-communist propaganda. And they're much more open to socialism on many levels. And I think for certain generations of people, 
these things are so solidly linked being American and these damn commies or our enemies is they just haven't thought about anything beyond it. That is the little wrinkle in their brain put in there by propaganda and uh, anything that even smells of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. It's out there. It's radical. And I want actual radical things to happen. It bothers me because I want actual radical fucking things to happen. I don't want the thing I'd agree to or concede to (laughs) be called radical because they're trying to defeat us. That's how I feel. It's that idea that people don't want to cooperate naturally, that we need to first always as humans think about managing trying to kill each other. But I'm not sure that that's necessary. And I feel like that's a big part of it. Because I've just on the low ground of talking to shithead comedians during this time. A lot of them have gotten very scared about a complete breakdown of society. And what will they do? They need guns. And I'm not against getting guns if whatever. I have... On that notion, I will feelings just point there, out, apparently South Philly's just been invaded by white supremacists. Ruby Ridge, these motherfuckers. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm being That's, more that's more a reference everyone will get. Yeah, whatever. The Ruby Ridge people deserved it. Um, but I am getting more and more moved. No, the government used to do good. Yeah, they, they killed a fucking <laughs> and, Nazi. And just firebomb some white supremacists. Well, they, they sniped them. Uh, but... Yeah, they killed a fucking Nazis kid. (laughs) But anyway, um, yeah, no, I'm kind of getting more and more moved with the left needs its own militia thing. (laughs) I will just say. Uh. Events have definitely illuminated that. Well, I mean, I'll be be, uh, frank about it. Uh, Despite not growing up in a family that was, like, into guns, uh, there's definitely a gun in my house growing up. And I have never particularly wanted to be in a situation where I felt like I needed to be armed. Like, that's where it comes from for me. (laughs) But I can't argue that there are certain circumstances wherein it might be the most reasonable idea. And I don't think I even know that many uh, people who are against guns to the degree that anti-gun shit is even painted in reality. Like, yeah, I would like to not ever have to know what a weapon was <laughs> in some fantasy. But I think we're breaking out collectively as a people from the weird delusional belief that, like, MLK did things through magical nonviolence. And people are like, oh, wait, the burning the thing is what got the thing done. You know, it's all connected. That's what I'm saying. I was first drawn to Fisher for a number of things, Uh, mostly the identification of mental health and bureaucratic liberalism as the like the centers of power that um, keep things personalized. Um, rather than, and and as strategies to, as you said, like kind of destroy the people acting in a collective way, which kind of gets to his other article that I really love, the privatization of stress. 
and the the need to privatize stress because if you're constantly thinking about your own stress then you know there's no way to think about collective together with your neighbors and organizing a tennis mm-hmm. or getting together with your coworkers and you know they have definitely strategized ways of keeping coworkers separate i mean it's more profound than that people don't even realize mm-hmm. that they're being affected by mm-hmm. how things are structured they don't even realize that it might be a natural reaction to some of these things the system can't let us mm-hmm. get to that place we have to be focused inward uh, which is like a disempowered position where you're just focused on yourself and your own micro experience of it and then it becomes a personal failure because you're not managing your stress properly and then they can sell you something to do that and then it's like are you getting the right things you know everything just becomes another avenue just generally very individuating where it's just like this is my fault this is my problem and you know well, it makes you feel in control a little bit. That's that's how they get you. Because if it is your problem, then I could change it. I just need the right one clever trick. <laughs> you know, it becomes not only a way to stop you from analyzing what's causing you the pain, but it becomes another way to exploit you and sell you things and make sure you're really pinned down. In this situation, you know, in this time of COVID, I can't tell you how many people have been so uncomfortable with even joking about how shitty landlords are. (laughs) They're fundamentally fucking shitty. And even if you have this outlier experience of the good landlord in your eyes, it and they can't imagine a world without (laughs) landlords. Exactly. No, the solution is right there. Yeah. And the solution is there shouldn't be landlords. Yeah. The solution is it doesn't make sense. I can't tell you the amount of people who I guess have never faced any kind of real economic uncertainty in their life. Absolutely freak the fuck out about, well, I have to pay rent. These are people I'm talking to in places where evictions are not allowed to happen during this time, but they're still very caught up in, I have to pay rent. And I'm like, because your landlord is telling you this, but it's not as if the building you live in needs you to shovel dollar bills into its mouth or it's going to collapse. Shut the fuck up. This person just wants their money and they will try to get it by any means necessary. You need to get a clue about what your position is. I just feel like I talk to so many people where they are little tiny fucking subs to their landlords and to all these structures because they have been just financially comfortable enough that they can consistently pay all those bills usually. But this time it's making them feel well, it's, oh, it's the same way with God. cops though like they when, can't imagine a world without cops either mm-hmm. all these systems oh of gosh. authority it, if somebody says why do we need these and then there's this reflexive 
there is well there is no well, alternative well, well, yeah, and people who for the most part yeah. have never interacted with cops before talk about how much we need cops most of these people police have never affected their lives in an adverse or positive way it's an imaginary thing. They're imagining some fucking episode of well, NYPD Blue they saw one time. And that's what co- being a police officer is. Something that was literally contrived to entertain you. So it's got to be exciting. It's going to not at all show you the actual mundanities of being a police officer. And it gives you a good binary to think about like this lazy idea that police are good guys. I'm just so glad my dad is like a fucking a cab for life kind of person because I never had to unlearn that. (laughs) I just had a fundamental distrust of police my entire life. And for that, I am thankful. But people who think this imaginary thing, like they're catching rapists, give me a fucking break. I don't know a single woman who has ever been held by police yeah, for I sexual assault? I, I Never. know several Never. people who have experienced any number of domestic violence, rape, this, that, or the other thing. I have never heard a single positive cop story from any of them. It's so ridiculous because I was in a domestic violence situation and people will be like, why didn't you call the cops? Like I, in fact, had a hard time getting a restraining order when he was threatening me when we were splitting up because I had not called the cops on him. I was not willing to call the cops because I do not trust the cops. One, they do not come to the top of my mind as somebody I would contact in a situation where I needed help or safety. But two, they have a infamously grotesque way of dealing with domestic violence situations. There is a chance that I could be evicted from where I was living because I had called the cops. And my ex-husband is black and I wasn't willing to take the chance. Either I'm getting fucked because they're going to err on the side of misogyny in the domestic violence dispute or they're being racist and I'm not just getting safe. I'm killing my husband who yes he's abusing me but I don't want to kill him yet you know like it's I try to explain this to people like I didn't have a safe fucking number to call in this situation because of how fucked up the cops are your imaginary scenario where these people help anyone who's vulnerable is bullshit and frankly when I had to involve the law which I didn't want to do but I was forced to essentially he was like i'm gonna just show up here rah 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 an explicit threat i couldn't do anything about it and i had to get a protective order as it's called in maryland the first time it was denied i didn't bring a lawyer i just thought i could file based on whatever he brought a lawyer who slut shamed me in court (laughs) and the judge was like it seems like you don't respect the sanctity of marriage (laughs) yeah it was awful i had to appeal Luckily, I got a lawyer from a excellent uh, domestic violence organization, the House of Ruth, and I was able to get my protective order and et cetera. But he had to come and retrieve the last of his items that were still at the space we had shared, and the police then had to come and monitor it. And 
the police essentially spent the whole time joking and like getting broy with my ex-husband and his cousin. It was explicitly antagonistic to me. <laughs> and um, I had the air that these fucking shithead police officers thought that I had contrived some story to get this poor man put out of this house. You know, like it in yeah, I mean, well, area. Did they help me? Did they did they did I ever feel like they could help me? And they didn't surprise me later on and fucking help me <laughs> and fucking even act like the neutral party they were supposed to be. <laughs> so I just am really over the what about the rapists? What about the domestic violence? Um the the fact that the police exist as they do is a danger to people in those situations. There's no fucking superhero to call. We're on our own. <laughs> That's what it is. Mariska Hargate is not real. I mean, she's real, but she's not a cop. <laughs> I, I know I know my friend special victims uh, in who will not be named, but only in his pseudonym Boris was on a domestic violence patrol where he was sent out in lieu of the police as a like volunteer unit to yeah, it was basically a de-escalator. Yeah. That and there was is only, like, one person valuable. per, like, three <laughs> counties. And also facilitated, mm -hmm. like, bringing women to shelters to avoid their abuse. But these calls for that to replace police officers doing that are met with guffaws and is there no alternative? Yeah, I mean, well, my favorite joke I'm sure I didn't come up with is, uh, yeah, if we get rid of police, what happens to uh, domestic abusers? Well, a lot of them will lose their jobs, I guess. <laughs> that is well, true. The police well, the no alternative at a high level. Um, <laughs> hypothesis would mean that they would just get a job as a private contractor. Yeah. Well, that's why we also need to Oh, this is a good time to bring up security. our, our orb our orb mom's uh, fears that we better play it cool with this abolishing the police because we don't want what happened in Iraq to happen here where the police form an ISIS, which yeah, I do think we about it a little be, bit. Uh, very strict <laughs> in about disarming and disbanding them. And also enforce that with Antifa. Yeah, with our Antifa super soldiers, with their really cool... Um, We'll call Line them anti-terrorism um, unit. Anti Once a terrorist, now an anti-terror. It's a beautiful idea. But yeah, I, I think the great tragedy of this time is that there isn't some fucking weird rich person who's come up with a bunch of cool, not totally lethal weapons that we could use in the revolution. I hate that we are... Just gonna have to steal mm -hmm. their war shit and use it against them. I wish there were. I know they've got oh, yeah, the cannons and shit. shit like this. I'm pretty sure that if we all meditate in persons, then uh, we will overcome <laughs> all conflict. Yeah. Yeah, we just have to open our minds so much our brains fall out, and then we see no difference between all lives Republican matter and Democrat. All lives matter. Oh, gosh. You know what, guys? Look, I've done a lot of the fucking yoga. And uh, you don't have to be a dipshit about it. You can apply 
these principles in a sophisticated way that allows for the material realities of the world. In fact, that's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to live in some imaginary space where Martin Luther King opened up his suit jacket and Care Bear stared his way (laughs) into the Civil Rights Act. You can get real. And I think it's a very oppressive thing that this weird, mystical nonviolence has been associated with Martin Luther King. And by extension, Gandhi and this weird, like, wrapping them in together, which... Yeah, nobody talks about the Malcolm X to Gandhi, but he existed. He was a lot more. Liberation of India was a long, fucking, multi tiered process that did not stop or start on Gandhi. And Gandhi was largely propped up afterwards by Western scholars as this exemplar figure. But uh, yeah, no, Gandhi did not liberate India. And the liberation of India was anything but peaceful. It was actually genocide-filled by all accounts. I have a proposal for a future episode. Mm -hmm. Um, A a topic I've been thinking a lot about. Um, The difference between mystical and spiritual. I I thought that would be a really good topic because I have lots of thoughts about it. I do, as someone who was raised Greek Orthodox, which I don't know if you knew, of the traditional (laughs) Christian religions, is the most mystical. (laughs) Technically, theologically, it is. But yes, I would have a lot to contribute on this because I have a lot of feelings about... I I hate that my curiosity about these more spiritual concepts, like the people who get super into them are such fucking dipshits. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that it that it makes me feel self-conscious about it but like i'm a curious fucking person and a lot of these things are also philosophy and you can think about them in a complex way but the way that specifically yoga in america how it is disseminated and marketed to people here especially people who want to get in they want to teach it and blah 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 they are given this like fake authority in this hindu mysticism <laughs> that is really made up you know my, it's my, my, yeah you my binary is i feel like can, mysticism is based on more essentialist qualities and spiritualism is based on kind of a haunted ontology but we can discuss that far more at another time i will say i have a positive view of a lot of the people in the woo-woo world the new age world um they used to be very decidedly apolitical Things had bad vibes and whatnot. But a lot of people, not just Marianne Williamson, our beautiful orb queen, but other people who are less badass than that in that kind of area have pivoted. You know, they've said they were kind of mistaken in the past to dissuade people from being politically active because they, too, were victim of thinking there were only so many possibilities. And I think if you're a serious person who wants to actually engage with spiritual principles or philosophical principles that have a spiritual aspect, you want to apply them to real life. And that's what's useful about them, not 
what somebody put in a packet because they sold you a yoga training, bitch. (laughs) Anyway, also, like, I don't know if you guys know anybody who is Hindu, actually, but they find it pretty silly the way a lot of these concepts are weirdly translated into this yoga system in America and then are spouted out by various white girls. Some of it's just old Neocolonization. Yeah, That's and, what's funny. Well, I mean, also there's the whole right. aspect of yoga being used by the BJP as a tool of propagandizing as well. I don't know if anyone's too familiar with that one. I'm superficially familiar, yes. I'm aware of yeah. this being... I mean, they're like <laughs> sort of incorporating it into general education as kind of a way of creating a general like Hindu cultural hegemon through India. And then they're yeah, using they, that... They, there are uh, some Hindu fascists. In the West, uh, yoga is so secularized <laughs> to basically go back and argue, oh, well, we're not forcing our religion on anyone. It's just yoga. It's an interesting dynamic. It is interesting because I think for Westerners, the like experience of doing yoga when people get super into it and they're like bending their, they're breathing into parts of their body that held a lot of tension, which makes them feel very vulnerable. They're having a physical experience, but it's making them feel emotionally vulnerable. Like that for a lot of people in the West is an experience that they do not associate at all with religion or anything, you know, you don't go to church and feel that way necessarily. I guess there are people, look, I, again, I grew up Greek Orthodox. I only know frankincense burning, weird icons and Byzantine chants. <laughs> but I know there are some people who speak in tongues and do cool stuff in Christian churches, but I don't, I think for the way it manifests in the West is you have a lot of these people having this, oh my God, I never had this experience before. And they become committed to this one idea of what yoga is, but often it's just this like weird mishmash of different Hindu traditions. It's often like one guru designed these stretches and that just took off. It's not as like spooky ooky as people would like it to be. Also, just with the hagiography around Gandhi, like I am duty bound to believe that Gandhi was a anti-black racist and also forced young girls to sleep in bed with him at the very least no no knowledge of a spiritual principle uh seems to prohibit any kind of uh, of real world Um, fuckery um, in general he was and also but i think westerners tend to do this thing where they project this (laughs) utter goodness well well, that's the that's the neoliberal Yeah, for sure. Where it becomes like, I usually have conflict with white Buddhists, okay? Because a white Buddhist thinks typically, no offense, you fucking Uma Thurman's dad person. Uh, (laughs) But often a white Buddhist is like, oh, Buddhism is like the perfect religion. It is free from all of these things that poison the monotheisms of the West and la, 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 la. But they don't have a real knowledge of the material reality where lots of Buddhists did a lot of fucked yeah, up well, shit in a lot of Sri places, Lanka. including recently in Myanmar. Sri Lanka, like it's it's not 
the spiritual principles uh, this do not prohibit declares its eternal loyalty the same kind of to shit. the people's and liberation tigers of Elam. Yeah, that's all right. I want to do we're, is bang, so, bang, bang, I, bang some child soldiers. Um, my own brain. Final question. Um, how Stance. does my statement about uh, capitalist realism and communist manifesto hold up? Okay, I definitely said it <laughs> verbatim to my coworker this week almost. Because <laughs> he didn't know who Mark Fisher was off top. Oh my God, who was he imagining? He was imagining somebody way off. But this coworker has read a lot of Zizek, so I know it's not like totally out of the realm oh, for yeah. him for me to suggest this. <laughs> he wasn't familiar, <laughs> really. So I said, oh, it's the Communist Manifesto of the 21st century. Because <laughs> I think he had assumed that it was somebody just sort of going over the same philosophical tenets of Marx, whatever. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. You will, it's a whole thing. <laughs> I was like, have you seen Children of Men? Uh, <laughs> so that's also the thing I really appreciate about Mark Fisher is his ubiquitous use of pop culture references to explain what he is talking about. I think it like came natural to him. I don't think it's contrived, but... Seen. It, and then, like, unless you were doing a lot of ecstasy in, like, South England in the late 80s, shit you've never heard of. Yeah, a lot of neo-goth stuff. Yeah, like, neo-goth, <laughs> um, weird fucking, like, BBC shows that you'd be nostalgic for if you were, like, 20 years older in English. Jungle music, <laughs> drum and bass, which I'm pretty sure is the same thing. Yeah. You're going to offend so many people. Yeah, whatever. It's all beep, beep, boop, boop stuff. I don't give a fuck. Right. Beep, beep, Look, boop, we just boop. wrote a it's, fucking it's, jungle it's. song. Fight me. Uh, um, Matt, remix that. Also, Make it an actual song for the outro. Mark Fisher quotes. <laughs> I've written a lot. You can now understand why I came home so. one day and was like, Marlo, let's start a meme group about this. <laughs> I appreciate it. You're doing a, a mitzvah uh, for society. Ironically, there's probably um, a lot of the anti-Semites that's on, on the group. The Facebook. They find a way, them anti-Semites, man. They just, oh, they're like God. life in Jurassic Park. Well, like, I'm finally understanding. Uh, it's a group that it. like makes me that's really uh, empathize with like God in the whole flood story. I want to destroy my children. Um, <laughs> yeah, like you just got to take this bitch uh, out. All right. All right. Don't worry. They'll be our militia. All right. Today. Thanks for uh, doing homework. Good talk. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I did. I'm, yeah. I'm going to keep doing homework. Oh, my God.